You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number six. Welcome, everybody. On today's show, we're going to be talking about owning individual and organizational change with leadership expert Erica Groschler. In this episode, we'll be talking about the importance of honoring people's reality, even if it's different than yours, the three conditions to consider before giving feedback, and the need for system-wide buy-in for sustained cultural change, and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk with you towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Erica Groschler. Erica has over 25 years of experience working with organizations, helping improve human performance in the workplace. Erica's made working with people and organizations the focus of her career, and she's playing a key role in helping companies define and develop their culture and high-performance capability. In addition to a master's in educational technology, she's also qualified and trained in Myers-Briggs, large system change, human systems dynamics, and group process. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I want to start by asking you, you know, in this coronavirus pandemic, that the world that we live in right now, clearly change is here to stay. And I know that you've been through a lot of changes, both personally and professionally over the years. How has that prepared you for what we're really facing today? Uh, well, great question. For me, you know, I've, I've feel like if I was living through this pandemic experience even a decade ago, how I'd be navigating it would be incredibly different. First of all, my kids would have been younger, but also I wouldn't have been through, as you mentioned, both the professional and personal changes I've been through over the last 10 to 15 years. And so with each experience I've had, and sometimes the lessons come later, <laughs> I've, I've learned. I've learned how to build my muscle and how to be in change. So it doesn't mean I love every time a change is happening. It doesn't mean I'm thrilled about every aspect that's happening right now around COVID, especially because I actually have no idea what the next 12 to 18 months is going to look like for the type of work that I do. That being said, I know I've lived through stuff before where my biggest fears were not realized and I was able to navigate through those. So probably what's helped me the most is all the learnings I've had and skills I've learned around change. So I actually just wrote a blog about this in the last couple of weeks, because I feel like there's people who are probably going through this, not having language and knowing what's going on for them to just help and support them with what my learnings were through really what I call some of the pain that I experienced through change, because that's usually what most of us go through. We're all dealing with some form of loss. Some people are, you know, dealing with loss of not being able to go into the work environment anymore. They're not able to see their close family members, especially if they have elderly parents in a retirement home. So all of those things are losses and they're real for us. It's like we perceive these as a threat. So that's how I've helped myself right now is I find my approach has been actually quite peaceful and calm. And I, I say to everybody, ask me in two months how I am doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I also think if I'm acting stressed out, I'm certainly not helping my clients and the people in my family if I'm being that way. So it, it's almost like an inner 
an inner resilience and an inner knowing because I've lived through stuff that I know this too shall pass. So I'm hearing one of the things that's really a strength for you is looking back at the past, at the the challenges, the struggles that you've been through, and this too shall pass ideology that, hey, if I can do that, then I can get through this. You also mentioned language. You said that some people need to focus on their language. Can you tell me more about you know what you're thinking around the power of language in times like this? If you look at the research around how our brains function, we were not able to distinguish between what's a real threat and a perceived threat. So for us right now with COVID and the possibility, I mean, death is a possibility for any of us. We don't know what could happen if we end up in the hospital. The The place that we might go to in our language is, is very much around uh, victim, fear language, uh, a lot of things that what I call kind of the helpless and hopeless language, things that we actually can't control. And so from a language perspective, a lot of the, in the coaching I'll do to myself is to always ask myself, what, what can you influence here and what do you actually have the ability to control? So, I mean, it could be something as, I mean, we could say it's as simple as your attitude, but I can control and influence, you know, how much, how much I'm drinking alcohol. I can control and influence what time I'm getting up in the morning and how late I choose to go to bed, how much I'm eating and what I'm putting in my body. I can influence the fact that I'm choosing to do yoga almost every morning and go for a bike ride and be in nature almost every day. So those are the things that right now, because there's a lot of stuff I can't control that, that helps shape where I'm putting my attention, which influences the language that comes out of my mouth. So there's a blamey piece that can happen for people too, where they're, um, blaming others. I've, I've had a few people in my life that from a fear place, I find they're very negative about how the government's choosing to deal with this right now. They're very negative about how they're not putting, let's say at the beginning, lockdown wasn't happening soon enough. And so, you know, I personally have chosen not to spend too much time talking with those people because I don't want my attention to go into that negative place. It takes actually conscious effort to make sure that my language and my thoughts are more around the positive and what I truly can make a difference around. Does it get easier and easier to set that boundary once you start reinforcing or enforcing what you want to pay attention to and not pay attention to? Or is it always a challenge? Well, for me, I actually think it's become a practice. And so it's just sort of how I choose to live my life. I think if I'm being honest and I think back to the last 15 years, it wouldn't have been, let's say, where my first place was. So my default place would be a place of fear. So that means that the language that would be happening in the thoughts in my head would be more of those negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I have practices that I have taught myself to help bring me out of that into a place of what I can basically be creating. You know, I've had I've had crappy stuff happened in my life. I've lost my job when I was coming back from a second mat leave. I left my marriage and my business partnership when my kids were under five. Like all of these things were significant events for me in my life. And I can assure you, I was very victim. When I lost my job, I, it was all about blame, right? And I, I went through all the stages of grief. So it's not that I'm immune, even though now I know it and I teach it. I just now know what stage I'm in and loss. Yeah. It's about choosing it's really about choice and choice by, by the way, from my perspective is a piece of language as well. What are you choosing? How are you choosing to be in this? Yeah. The situation sucks. 
yeah, give yourself a bit of time to have your pity party for yourself. And then what are you going to do about it? Because you can commiserate with 15 other people and then you have your posse of people who all agree with you and you're all in that negative space, but it doesn't feel very good. I want to feel good in my life. This I'm on this planet to live my life, which means have some crappy experiences or be faced with adversity like what some of us are seeing with COVID and then be like, okay, so this is what's happening. What can I truly influence here? And bring my thoughts and my language to that place. What I like about what you're saying is it sounds like you're not just saying focus on only what's really good in your life and, and direct that. That's important. That's what we want to get to. But it's okay to acknowledge the stress that you're under. It's okay to acknowledge the loss of where we were, maybe of spending time with people that you love and own that, but then use that as kind of like an energy to guide you into, okay, this is the reality I'm in and this is where I want to be. Is this the kind of same same things you do with, with teams, for example? Yeah, it's, it's interesting the way you worded it because there's a big principle that I use, which is honoring people where they're at and honoring what their experience is and even what their perception is because it may not actually be the same as what really happened. So there's a piece of empathy and compassion that I think we need to be bringing to ourselves, for instance, right now with what's happening. But I believe with what you said about the teams that I work with, that is what helps me help them move through stuff. So if there's not an acknowledgement and an honoring of what's gone on, and sometimes they need like a little bit of space to just be in their feelings and views of things that might be what I call the more negative way of looking at things and blaming. If you push too fast, this is at least my experience, you're actually not going to build the trust that's needed. So what I do is, I, okay, so I have a few principles. One is meet the client where they're at, whoever the client is, even if it's a family member. Um, if I If I squash that experience for them, why are they going to feel safe and trust me to move through what for them is incredibly significant or painful. That being said, my experience of when working with people is they don't really, it doesn't feel good to be in that place for too long. Most people want the invitation to step into that, let's say, let's call it the higher place or the, the better performing team place. Like mo most of us would want that. Just most of us don't know necessarily how to get there or we have too many reasons of experiences we've had with, a, let's say, negative experiences on the team. And, and also, often, a lot of that is based on misunderstanding. So, so a lot that I try to do in that team piece you asked is to help them get to a place where they actually realize they're more alike than not. But they don't realize it because they usually come into, if there's a lot of dysfunction or there's been conflict, they're usually stepping into that conversation as if they're on polar opposites. And so the work I do is to try to actually get them to come closer and closer towards the center to actually build empathy from each side, basically think of it as sides, so that they can truly hear each other and then create what that possible future is for themselves in that relationship. So I'm hearing a couple things. One, you said like honoring where that place where they're coming from, but maybe impossibly before that you have in your mind that you're not going into battle. You're not fighting each other you're actually seeking to understand where they're coming from because you know that there probably is a commonality that you haven't found yet and that builds that bridge that you can seek to understand so you actually know that you are on the same team yeah so for me probably the biggest piece is not going in with a judgment and really a negative judgment and 
holding them truly able that they can get to a better place collectively. And so in a sense, like harness what they, what their strengths are. Like, so this is both a good and a bad about me, but I always see the potential in people. I always see what's possible in people. And I really appreciate that for them when they're in pain or angry or finger pointing that that's real for them. Mm -hmm. Right. So even if I have a better sense of a bigger picture, because I'm not hooked the way they are, it's important for me to honor that for them in order for them to feel acknowledged. That's usually what people just want is to be heard and then they can park it and then step into being able to listen and understand possibly another perspective. I like that. So really just honoring where they're coming from, even if you're not hooked into it, because if you don't validate or at least acknowledge where they're coming from, they're still going to try to yell at you in a way, metaphorically, to get heard. Because once they feel heard, then they're open to have a conversation. Correct. And, you know, yelling, like, so keep in mind, often if I'm working with a team, I'm not part of that team. So that's where I can add value, right? Because I'm the objective one who's able to probe, ask questions. I will sometimes mirror back what I'm noticing if I see a certain pattern dynamic showing up with their way they're acting with each other. And I'll come from a place of being curious, right? Like, so rather than negatively judging and saying, well, no wonder you guys are struggling. Look at what you're doing. (laughs) It's not helpful, right? And I have had situations where I've had to catch myself because when I have a negative judgment. I just had a coaching relationship with someone and I'd heard so many things about this individual from people that they worked with. And I, and I had a certain experience of that person in my workshops that, you know, in our second coaching session, the person said to me, I'm not sure I trust you. And you know what? They were right to say that because I wasn't being clean and clear in how I was being with them. So I had to, like, this is constant growth and learning for me too. I had to check in with myself to think, okay, if I'm going to continue to coach this person, I can't be going in prejudging. I have to go in with believing they have full potential to transform and grow. Otherwise I'm not being in service of them and it's not right. Awesome. And so by the next session, it really shifted because of how I was being in relation to them. Isn't that great sometimes? And I know um, on, on some of your blog posts, you talked about the group process, you know, forming, storming, norming, and performing. And they didn't trust you because they were you're in the forming stage and maybe they didn't feel you're yes. being authentic. And that sounds like a dissenting opinion. Or if you're not clear on yourself, you could have totally overreacted and how you know, and had your emotions come up, which would have destroyed yeah. it. Instead, it sounds like you really took that as feedback and, and took it to the next level in the, in the relationship. I did, but I can tell you a story because I think you have this question somewhere that you wanted to ask me. So I was doing some work with a leader and her team. And a lot of my work was with her coaching her and supporting her with her leadership team. And we were doing a session with her whole group and she had to leave early because she wasn't well. And when she left, they just went into like she was the scapegoat and they went into just saying all these horrible things about her and she wasn't there. And the next thing I know I'm defending her, which is a horrible strategy to do when you're the facilitator. Cause I got completely hooked because I'd been working with her for a year, knew her really well, knew what her motivations were and where she was coming from. And here was her team taking her down basically. And she didn't have her voice in the room. So as a true believer and everyone should have voice, the next thing I know, I'm trying to bring her voice into the room, but not from, in my opinion, the most authentic place. Anyhow, I couldn't work with the team after that. It ruined 
me being able to work with them. I still worked with her, but I couldn't work with the team because I, I broke whatever trust I had established with them. So I've had my moments. Of not we all have ups and we all have downs. And it sounds like, like you said, actually earlier on, it's not that we don't have the downs it's that we learn from them and we use them as our strength, exactly. strength later on. You know, one of the things you mentioned just a little bit ago was it sounds like when people hold on to you said the patterns that emerge and you you as the observer come in and you can see these patterns how do you deal with that when they're in like a negative rut and they're just kind of passing the the buck all around the place like how do you intervene like what are some ideas for that i would say it depends like i'm thinking of one leadership team i was working with last year and it was just very obvious to me that the ceo was not, was doing the work with the team because he knew that's what he should do like tick box but he wasn't really committed to doing the work mm -hmm. so i i actually didn't call the pattern in the session because i i just the safety hadn't been and the trust hadn't been established yet um, i followed up with a reflection after the session. And I even used some, some guidance around some content to show what happens sometimes in group dynamics and what I had had observed and not one person responded to what I had reflected. So that feedback to me was this team just doesn't really want to do the work. Right. And part of that's because of their, their leader. Whereas in that same month I had given almost exactly the same feedback to one leader who I had seen show up in a certain pattern of behavior on the team. And so I followed up after with an email to say, Hey, I just want to share, like, I was curious about this non-judgment, just what I saw. And he is someone who really takes time to think about how he's being in his leadership and his behaviors and right away responded with a reflection back and thanked me for pointing it out so I did it, I did it in a confidential, respectful way. I didn't do it in the session in that case because it was about his behavior with the team. And so I didn't want to sort of isolate him with his team that way. I wanted that to be his own individual reflection after. So it's, it was the same kind of piece of feedback about a team dynamic done the same way, like respectfully through communication afterwards, whereas one group was willing to do, wasn't willing to do the work and he was. Then there are times, where I pointed out in a session. So if I've been working with a team for a long enough time and we have that type of relationship, I have no problem calling out what I'm seeing behaviorally. And I might say it from a lens of, here's what I'm noticing. I've seen this happen now in the last, let's say, two meetings. And I'm just curious, you know, I might say like, how's this working for you? Are you, are you accomplishing what you're trying to achieve? That kind of thing. So I, I, will, I will call out things that I believe people need to see in their patterns, especially if I feel that there's an ability to hear it. If they can't receive the message, I'm not helping them or myself. It's just, it's just a waste of a conversation. So it has to feel safe. I have to have the sense that they really want to do the work and that they're committed to working through what might be a little bit painful because it's pointing something out about them that's not necessarily their best sides of themselves, but that they're willing to do the work because they're committed to being a better performing individual, team, etc. Really, that relationship that you have with the leader and the team is you're the facilitator, you're in a way the leader looking at, do I have this conversation? Do I not? Based on, is there trust? Is there an openness? Are they actively doing the work? Because otherwise, you're just going to get 
negative feedback, you're going to push back, and it's not going to be productive at all. So that's something you're sounds like you're evaluating all the time. Are they ready to hear what I have to say? Yes, and I would say that there's a piece of um, what's their emotional intelligence. Because if my sense is that it's low, meaning that they're not really aware of their, let's say even their own emotions, let alone how their how their impact is. Like they may go in with an intent when they say something and have no idea what the impact is. I, I'm gauging all of that to determine, remember I said, meet them where they're at. If, if I push too hard or if I say something, it's like almost speaking a different language to them. They're not even going to know what I'm talking about. So I'm assessing all of that to determine the readiness of having a certain conversation with that person or that team. And I know that you walk a, a fine line with working with the leader and and oftentimes with the team at the same time. Yeah. And it sounds like you're you're also aware not only of what you say, but where you say it, the timing. Is it one on one? Is it with the group? And and trust is a big part of that. Like you said, because you said after a while, I felt that we I had the team with me, probably in norming and performing at this point in time. We have the relationship, but you're still coming at it from a tactful way. You're not giving straight up hard nose feedback. You're saying, hey, is this giving you the result you're looking for? Is this your intention? And having really them do the self-reflection on that, that's a really useful tool. Yes. However, um, there was a project that I was doing for an organization that had some significant significant cultural issues. Uh, there was high turnover in the team, in the, in the department, and there was even some issues related to some perception of some gender gender decisions that were being made around promotions. So I had done a fairly significant, what I call it like an environmental scan. I think I did 40 hours of focus groups and interviews in the department and team did and brought the, you know, brought a report to the client in that particular case. So I was, I didn't have a solid relationship yet with the client. Mm. It was early days. Uh, summarized my whole thing. And in fact, I had an interesting experience with this client because their HR people softened my report, which I've never had anybody try to do. So I wasn't thrilled about that to begin with. So when you're asking me about, you know, how, how willing am I to be direct? It was pretty direct in what I had written and they softened it. And then when we presented it to the leadership group, including the HR people, and, and there were some pretty significant findings. I found that the leadership wasn't owning the impact of what had happened in their department and some of their maybe unconscious behaviors and what the ripple impact was. And so because I wasn't attached, and what I mean by that is I knew in this moment when I did what I did, because I'm about to tell you what I did, <laughs> I was possibly going to lose this client. I hadn't built the trust with them yet. They didn't know what work I could do to help them. You know, I could tell them I could do it and I had a track record, but let's be serious. They didn't know me. And in that meeting, I actually said to them, I need to say that I'm really disappointed with the reaction I'm noticing from you as I present these findings. I said, I actually do not get the impression at all that you're really taking responsibility for what's happened in your department. And anyhow, the VP oh my. actually got emotional and took complete 100% ownership for what happened and, and started to like show tears in the whole thing. The person who was the director of the department, he inherited the department and it wasn't really him that had contributed to that. And 
he was never in the entire time because I actually got the work. <laughs> and we really did an amazing job of transforming their culture. But we had to do workarounds him because he, back to what I said about lacking some emotional intelligence and, and the readiness, there was some, there were some gaps in the leadership. So when you asked about working with the team, this is where I really try to not just work with leadership, but also work with the actual organizational system, like the employees, so that it doesn't just mean that the work I'm doing is just with leaders, even though that's critical, but it was both. So in that case, I was very direct. I took a risk. I knew I might lose the client because I didn't have the relationship, but I felt, as I said it, that they needed basically a baseball bat smacked on their head to really get present to what they had created negatively in their department, even if it wasn't their intention. That is phenomenal. Uh, first of all, congratulations on <laughs> sticking to your principles, sticking to your guns, and, and actually pursuing the greater good even if it was at the expense of, you know, any monetary compensation, because yeah. I know the reason you do what you do is because you have a passion, you care about people, you care about organizations, and the good work they can do. And you you see the potential, like you said earlier, I see the potential what they can do. But sometimes you got to look at it. Like you said, yeah. even with the crisis, look at where you're at right now. Because if you don't look where you're at, you're just going to hide from it, you're not going to change and make that happen. And changing one person is is challenging enough, let alone changing an entire team or an entire company that you tend to focus on. What are some of the, the best ways that a company can, if they become aware, like you said, they become aware of, hey, we got some cultural problems, whether it's discrimination, uh, gender issues that are happening, equality of pay and work, things like that. How can they begin to, to address those? What do you recommend a company start with? So I... From my experience, because I've had about three different culture initiatives I've been part of, and two two of which I've recently this year been told that the the culture has con continued to sustain in the great strides we started to make. So I, was, I just got some feedback this week from someone who told me they're doing Zoom poetry and social paint nights right now in this COVID situation. Like so, they're they're socially connected in a way that wasn't fully there when I had started doing work with them because of the pain. So, so that's great, right? To me, that's like the best feedback is when they don't need me, right? I, I'm a true believer in that. So back to the question you asked, the important thing is really the relationship between leadership owning this and, and what I call sponsoring it. So when that VP basically said in that, when I you know took the baseball bat and smacked them, when that VP basically said, no, I take responsibility for this and I feel real regret that they've gone through this and what we're dealing with in this department, it has to start there. It has to start with the most senior person owning this change. That being said, it can't just sit with that leadership. If it does, then it means it's a leader-driven change. And if you look at any organizational culture, it's made up of everybody. And in fact, in one of the places I did work, what I was note with around culture, what I noticed is the leadership changed a lot. In fact, over the four-year period where we had a start and stop on doing the culture change, I think I was dealing with three different senior executives, mm. but the people who worked in the organization stayed. So who's going to sustain a cultural change is going to be the people, the employees, not just the leadership. So it's the relationship between the two. So I use both what I call a micro and macro approach to how I go in to do culture change. So the, 
the micro piece is working with that leadership team and making really sure they're clear about what's that future state they want to create and what what has to change because it's important to declare your actual current state and what you want to have happen for the future. But the other piece is back to honoring. It is really important to honor what they can bring with them into this future that really is a strength that works. So this isn't about giving the message, everything sucks here and you need to shift everything. It's also about saying like, what's amazing about what we have? That's going to be the invitation for people to want to kind of what I call play in the sandbox around shifting the culture. So there's, there's elements of really being able to be clear about what that future looks like, be really clear about what's staying the same and what we want to preserve and honor and having them be engaged in defining what are the values that are most important to us that we want to see being lived in this organization? And maybe some of those are values they already have. But in every culture project I've done, we have done values defining work. And that has been the foundation of the defining and the describing behaviorally what that's going to look like. And then the, the actual what I call intervention work we've done has been in alignment with what they say they want, because that's where people's passions are. It's what they care about. And if there's a big gap between like current values and where they want to be, then there's more work that has to be done around the culture. How do you bring that about? I mean, you don't have to, obviously can't go into the whole thing about that. So you, yeah. you have the values, you have the vision, and you're trying to get what's the best way to get buy in throughout the organization at all levels, not just a top down leader based change? Again, I think it depends on the size of the organization. For the one that I told you with the you know, that I was pretty firm in giving the feedback. We, it was a small, small organization. They didn't have a ton of money. So we did a natural kind of Excel spreadsheet approach to asking people to share their values. And then we brought them together. The department's 150 people. We invited them to come. So engagement's key here. And they participated in selecting of that list, which were their top, let's say 10. I think we ended up landing on six or six values. And then we led these sessions with them where they we would meet once a month and they would define and describe their values. So they defined it. So in every group I've done this work, we've done that level of identifying and, and doing those values. For large organizations, like one of the ones that was 5,000 people, we did it through something called Barrett's Culture Value Survey. So it's an online survey or this was in a health system. So a lot of them didn't have access to the computer. So we were doing them print-based, but we were able to show, I think we had out of 5,000 employees, at least a 50% response rate. And we were able to show them, here's what you told us are your top 10 values that you want to see. Here's what you see currently, and here's where you want to be going. And they actually have in the way Barrett works is what they call limiting values. So there are values that exist in an organization that are not serving you. So this would only be in your current culture, but they could be things like hierarchy, confusion, control, uh, greed. They're, those would be what they would call limiting values. When you look at what they identify as their desired values, they're all sort of what we would call healthy values because that's what people want. And if you can reassess the values after all the work you do from an, this would be organizational development work. So you're working everything, the leadership piece that I told you, the macro piece of defining the vision, the leadership development, the personal development opportunities that are available. Uh, we had what we called culture ambassadors where they were able to influence change in their own units where they worked. So we had a whole bunch of things going on in a year and a half when we resurveyed, I think we saw 50% of the values that they wanted to see in their 
desired state were showing up in their current culture. And so we knew we had actually affected positive change because it was now being lived in their current culture. That's so important. I love the measurability and the tools that you're using there to really have a conversation, not just top down, but really throughout the entire organization holographically. And then you're measuring it on the back end. You're really looking at it. Okay, do we have a clarity of values throughout the organization? Are the behaviors showing up? Is there anything else that you would like us to, to think about or talk about that leaders really should be talking about more and thinking more about in terms of leading change culturally in their organizations? I think, you know, often leaders think they need to have all the answers and that they have to almost have a, a fairly fleshed out plan before they even go and talk to their people. I know I've had some leaders when they're when they know they're rolling out a change and they don't know the answers because there's so many unknowns. So they just don't talk to their people. My my observation and just from all the different kinds of change initiatives I've been part of is I I'm always like you're better off over communicating than not communicating, because what your employees are paying attention to is how authentic are you showing up? So the emotional intelligence part of you just connecting with your employees, being authentic, even saying I know this is tough right now because I'm pretty much not saying anything different than I told you last month, but I just wanted to, to connect and check in and let you know our, our focus is still on this change. We're still trying to figure it out. Like that kind of messaging is really important to anchor people in knowing that you as their leader are taking care of them, that you, you are, you know, you have their backs and you're considering all of the elements. But the other piece, especially in this day and age, and I think COVID is a really good example and I wrote a blog about this too on adaptive leadership is that that is the skill set that I think we need more and more from leaders. And if you look at what's being described right now, what we, when we're dealing with what's called an adaptive challenge, it's challenges that we're facing where we don't have a template or a predictable way of how to solve it. And I think dealing with COVID-19 is a really, really good example of this. So in the old days, you know, and you think as you're a parent, I'm a parent, we can kind of give the answers to our kid and sort of solve their problems with them or for them. Most of us do it for them, which is a whole other <laughs> conversation. Um, and as a leader, we know we're, we're quick to problem solve. Someone comes to us and throws the monkey at us and says, can you help me with this? And we fix it for them. And then they go on to the next thing. In adaptive leadership, because of what we're facing, where there's so much that no longer makes sense to us anymore, you can't solve it alone. It has to be a multi-stakeholder input process to actually even think about how are we going to approach this. And multi-stakeholders doesn't just mean leadership stakeholders. It might mean real talent in your organization who have more subject matter expertise around something. But how you approach it is a completely different skill set. It's, it's like a growth mindset skill set. It's an expansive skill set. It's a, it's a sense-making skill set. I mean, there's actually an article on sense-making that's in a book that I bought last year on the being, doing, and knowing of leadership. So this is what's being asked of leaders. And that is really scary to ask leaders to actually admit, I'm not sure how we're going to address this. I don't know what to do here. Can you imagine as a leader actually acknowledging and saying, I don't have an answer and I need your help to say to their people? But that actually is what I'm seeing more and more is the stretch in the kind of the leadership muscle that we need to see. And build. And build. And and you're right. What what have we done before? There's no template for where we are right now. We are into the unknown. And that adaptive mindset, adaptive leadership is, is so paramount. And the change needs to happen now. In fact, it didn't happen last year. 
really. Yeah. Yeah. Erica, thank you so much for spending your time here with us. It's really been a pleasure. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you and to stay connected? You can find me on LinkedIn and I also have a website, which is tpsconsultingltd.com. I've got blogs up. I've got information on the different projects I've worked on on LinkedIn. It's kind of like a running resume. Um, And yeah, you can reach out to me and ask any questions. I'm happy to answer if people are struggling or thinking about something that they're not sure how to proceed. So Awesome. And thank you so much for your blog posts. They are so well-researched and documented with references. It's not just opinions. It's literally data-based. It's fantastic. So keep it up. Keep on doing the work. And we'll talk real soon. Thank you so much. Okay. You're welcome. Take care. To connect with Erica and to read her blog, check out tpsconsultingltd.com or connect with her on LinkedIn. That's it for now, everybody. Thanks for listening. And until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. You've been listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with host John Ryan. For upcoming events and a bunch of free content, check out keyconvo.com. If you enjoyed, be sure to subscribe and share.